Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, and Brian Murphy. Welcome in. This is Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on, uh, well, recording this Thursday, early Thursday afternoon, a little post-lunch Banneret Podcast action for you as we have a... We had a busy night last night, busy weekend coming up, busy day again today with the spring. How you doing, boys? How are you feeling? Are you getting any sleep or what? <laughs> uh, yes. Eric, I'm sure he's getting cool. some more since we're through the Australian Open, you know. Yeah, I mean, and uh, softball games tend to start earlier, but, uh, you know, all things considered, uh, it's, it's, it's good. It's busy, but good busy, right? Like, it's good. Like, there's something, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's busier than it normally would be. How about you, Murph? Yeah, I don't know. Like, in in today's society, does it sound like I'm a slacker if I say, yeah, I'm sleeping pretty soundly? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's... You're perfectly fine. You don't watch the Australian Open and you don't have kids. It's totally no, he's watching right. Dylan. He's watching Dylan Moore in spring training baseball on ESPN there at the Mariners. Hey, ah. And I'll say... And I'll say Is that this, AL MVP candidate Dylan Moore? Dylan Moore. How about Thad Ward pitching for the Red Sox? How about Dan Winkler being probably a big piece of the Cubs bullpen this year? We're going to have some, some pretty serious UCF baseball players. Good, good year for UCF baseball in 2021. All right. Speaking of which, we'll talk about UCF baseball a little bit later on in the show. Whopping Ole Miss, number one team mm-hmm. in the country, or so we thought. Uh, and then following that up with a very close loss at Stetson last night uh, in a really bizarre game at times. Uh, lots to talk about with softball, volleyball, soccer, tennis. We'll talk about football and uh, and the legitimacy that Gus Malzahn has brought to the table in terms of uh, guys coming over and transferring into UCF. But we start with basketball. All right, so this is it. Today marks, uh, today being Thursday, March the 4th, marks the end of the regular season for both UCF men's and women's basketball, all right? And we'll start with the women who, on uh, Tuesday night, they uh, fell to USF 65-62 down at the Yingling Center um, to drop to 13-3, 11-2 in the conference. But they play them again at home today. So what does this mean? Well, UCF cannot win the American regular season championship. USF sealed that up. However, as you have talked about in in the past, Eric Lopez, UCF can put a major feather in their cap in terms of the net ranking if they can knock off South Florida uh, today. Uh, As far as the net rankings are concerned for uh, women's basketball, um, USF right now is uh, 
pretty high. It is pretty high up. Twenty four. Twenty fourth. Yeah. Which uh, UCF's forty four. Yeah. So so right now you that at forty four UCF is kind of they're right on that bubble, aren't they, Eric? So they kind of need this game tonight, don't they? It's the definition of the bubble. Uh, heck, the whole last year is all bubbles. But yeah, I mean, look, it's it's a fascinating situation right now. This is a, a huge week for the program in a lot of ways. And we'll, I don't know if we'll get into the whole why they are they potentially don't win the the regular season title if they win today. But look, this is a big game in a lot of ways. If you win this game, you get a win over a top twenty-five team uh, in South Florida. That's a huge. Yep. You know, feather in your resume in the cap because right, right now they're number big fifteen wins. in the AP. Right, right. Their resume right now, their best wins are Houston. They swept Houston during the season, but Houston's a bubble team. They swept Tulane, but Tulane's outside the bubble. And then LSU's a bubble team, so you won't have a win against a team that is secure in the field. Well, that would be that would take care of itself if you beat South Florida today. I really do. I think if you beat South Florida, it takes some of the pressure off this upcoming conference championship tournament going on in Texas if you and and then if you win this game you end up a half a game behind South Florida in the standings and I think have a legitimate uh, gripe and dispute about really getting screwed out of the conference regular season title but that's only if you win if you lose now you've you've gotten swept by your rivals now you're probably on the outside bubble you definitely I think at that point have to get to the final and you know, it, and then it, it's going to be really razor thin. And it, it's a very tricky situation this year because it's worth pointing out the conference, the NCAA tournament this year is in San Antonio, the entire thing, in the entire state of Texas. It's not like in the past where you would have certain markets. Like, remember when UCF made it in 2019, they got placed in Miami, which right. I always felt was done on purpose. Like, a lot of people are like, whoa, they were one of the last teams in. I'm like, they did that just so they can fit them in Miami. Well, UCF doesn't have that luxury right now. So that's why, to me, this is a critical game for them because if they lose, they're going to have to get to the final to get in. Otherwise, uh, they could be uh, looking outside and missing out on the tournament. They're locked into the number two seed right now in the conference tournament, which means uh, that they would put, they would have a bye and they would, wouldn't play their first game until Tuesday March the 9th at 7 p.m. That game would be televised on uh, e- ESPN+. Plus. Now, the uh, they would also play the winner of Game 2, which is between the number 10 and number 7 seeds uh, in the conference. And taking a quick glance um, at the conference, let's see, 4, 5, 6, 7 is Cincinnati, 8, 9, 10 is Memphis uh, right now. So... Right. I mean, it's Cincinnati kind of worries me a little bit because you just don't know what you're going to get from them. I mean, they well, they just knocked USF, off Houston or they, they just did knocked, knocked off Houston. Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so. huge. Uh, big blow to Houston and their chances of the tournament to right. lose to Cincinnati. And they've got the best player in the league, whether she wins player of the year or not. I don't know. But Imar Thomas is somebody that can take over a game. Now, so you right. did that, beat them by double figures both times, though. But that means, you know. Can you beat, you know, it's the old theory. Can you beat a team three times? That's you know? true. And, and UCF and ran into that problem with them last year, right? Remember? Correct. Yeah. Right. And you cannot, they cannot afford to lose that game. They lose that game, they're done. They're toast. Now, do you know right now, what does it look like as whose would be on their side of the bracket as far as the three C potential? Is it Houston or Tulane? Uh, three right now is Houston, but they're at 12 and five. Tulane's at 12 and six. 
And just taking a quick peek at the remaining schedule on the women's side, Houston, okay, Houston and Tulane. So Houston lost to Cincinnati today. Uh, Tulane beat ECU. So it looks like this is pretty much in the bag right now. So uh, neither of them are playing today. Right. So Houston would be the likely opponent for UCF in the semifinals. Again, can UCF beat them a third time? Well, they may have to, to make sure that Houston doesn't jump them as far as the field of 64. And one of my concerns, honestly, is if it's close between UCF and Houston, if the committee determines that it's close, I think they're going to go with Houston because Houston can bust to the NCAA tournament. UCF cannot. And I know that's a really you know, terrible way. That would be a really crappy way to decide it. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like kind of rewarding a team winning a conference regular season title, but via forfeit, but you know, no, what, who would do that? Such a thing. Um, um, (laughs) thank you. Um, no, you're right, Jeff. That would be, but would it, would it shock you? I mean, how many times have we talked about teams being busing to certain places for postseason? and you know, the NCAA, the last thing they want to do is spend a ton of money. So I do worry about that. That's why, again, I emphasize in my opinion, they've got to beat USF tonight. Because if you beat USF tonight, it takes some of the pressure off the conference tournament. If you lose, you have to get to the final. You have to get to the final. And I think at that point, I think you did enough. I think this league is going to get two in. It's just a question of in. hopefully three. I think the chances of three got hurt by Houston losing to Cincinnati. We'll see. But I, I this is a huge, huge game. And the only thing that's unfortunate is, it should have decided the regular season title, uh, but for uh, whatever peculiar reasons, it's not. So, Well, that has to go back to that Memphis forfeit, which, by the way, we went back and looked, and no one has adequately explained this. You know, the reason why, now, of course, you know, just to recap, the official reasoning uh, was that uh, Memphis um, decided not to play the game due to non-officially what are being termed non-COVID-related health reasons. Well, what in the world does that mean? And that's not an adequate explanation for what happened. So that's that's why USF has that half-game edge um, on UCF. And, um, you know, it's, and that shouldn't, you know, and listen, that doesn't take away from the effort that USF put through for this. No. They've had an amazing listen. season. Jose yeah. Fernandez, listen, you got you to gotta applaud the guy. Um, has, well, no, the, has, there's has there's stood, no two bigger it, fans... Of Jose Fernandez than you and me, Jeff. Right. There's no two bigger fans. Has he's done it the hard way? He's done it the right way over there. And every year UConn was standing in their way. They finally get to and they finally get to celebrate um, a conference title that has eluded them for a long time. This don't you can't tell me that team's not good enough to win a conference title in any other league in the, in in the in the nation. And they finally did it, but. There's going to be this little asterisk hanging over the top of it, and that's and that's a bummer not just for UCF; it's a bummer for USF as well. That's if UCF beats South Florida. It all right. goes back to that. If USF wins, this this conversation was moot. But you're right; if UCF beats USF, there is an asterisk, and I know and I know that's going to come off as oh, were you guys in the UCF podcast stuff? No, we're pretty upfront about it. I mean, like I said, we've given credit to USF. We're both covered Jose Fernandez. I mean, heck. Hello, me and Jose Cubanos. Hello, we're boys. All right, I, all right. I'm telling, we 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 big fans, okay? And we just tell it like it is. It's not like the other sites who act like middle school, think they're in middle school, and take little swipes and like cute, adorable. Um, Jesus. But again, what? I'm wow. ready. I'm fired up. I'm Woo! Co- the Cuban coffees. Eric's in. Eric's oh. coming out, coming out, guns blazing well, today. Well, you should record Jeff, on I'm, Thursday afternoons more often. <laughs> 
amen to that. I'm bothered by the forfeit. It really bothers me because, and again, it should be decided on the court. And we have no clear answer like, okay, so Memphis didn't feel like playing there. The other thing that bothers me, let's just say for argument's sake, okay, they have reasonable reason for why they, they came to that decision. As a conference, couldn't you have flipped the schedule at the end here where UCF lost a game with SMU last Wednesday? That's why they didn't play last Wednesday. You could have shuffled the schedule where Memphis could have played UCF or Wichita on that Wednesday. That way, UCF and USF have the same amount of games, and it's decided on the court, not by the forfeit. And I think the conference got caught here with their pants down. You know, and I think part of it is they're so they were so used to UConn running over the league, going undefeated, that there was no reason to really worry about the conference standings and the results. And I think they, I really do think they thought South Florida was going to do the same thing, except they got run over by Houston. And I think the, the league is like, oh, okay. It's just unfortunate. And again, nothing against South Florida. Jose is, I, I, I'm a huge fan of his and his program. And I think they, they deserve a banner. But I think UCF, these players also de- deserve the better uh, fate. Maybe they will use this as a chip if not just for this game against South Florida, but maybe use this as a chip on the shoulder in Texas. Would you agree with that, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, well, if I was Coach Abe, I'd certainly do that. The other chip I would use on my shoulder is the fact that, you know, on uh, on Tuesday night, you know, UCF was down 18-5 to after the first. They were down 17 at the break and staged an astonishing comeback late in this game. Alicia Lewis had 27 points. She hit six threes. She needed seven, though, because... You know, because, well, first of all, she hit a basket to get UCF within one. USF made two free throws with 1.6 seconds left. And UCF, credit to Coach A, because she ran a gorgeous full-court inbounds play with 1.6 to get Alicia a look. And she shot one up from about 27 feet and missed it off the iron. And that was the end of the game. That would have tied the game and sent it to overtime. Would have been an amazing comeback. Uh, for UCF, who shot, by the way, uh, fourteen to twenty-six in the second half after uh, a pretty bad first half, where they went seven. Well, and Alicia, Alicia, Alicia was very aggressive, and I think they're a yeah. better offensive team when she's aggressive. And the coaching staff, Coach Abe, have talked about this. She's a pass-first point guard, and sometimes she's too unselfish. She's the best shooter on the team, and it's not an accident when she got aggressive. Their offense got going in the second half. She just wait, it just waited too long. They dug themselves. Mm-hmm. Too big of a hole, down 17 at the half. The South Florida Bigs did a really good job on Kaba and Brittany Smith. I think they held them both to like three of eight shooting uh, and, and really took away UCF's inside game. That's something yeah. to look for uh, in the, the next meeting or two is the South Florida did a nice job shutting down UCF in the post, and they hit some threes early. And yet, with all that, UCF was a shot away from sending the game to overtime yeah. remarkably. Well, you know what? It wasn't as bad as... It may have looked. Moss was three of eight. Brittany was four of nine. So that's seven of 17 combined, uh, 12 rebounds that combined for 16 points. Now, not ideal, obviously, but, you know, not too bad. It's uh, at least I don't think it was in that respect. So but they got, you know, out, they got dominated in the boards. I think yeah. that's the big, you know, UCF when they're really do- clicking 30, 36 to 27. Yeah. On the boards, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. that's really against a team especially that, on the, that lives in the perimeter against a yeah. team that lives in the perimeter. Yeah. Defensive rebounds, by the way, that was the big difference. Twenty three sixteen, USF had yep. the edge. Offensive rebounds were pretty even, but it was the defensive rebounds that really hurt. All right, but but, those are those are good stats to keep an eye on as you watch yeah. them play later on, depending on when you're listening to this and if they play again in Texas. 
Well, they're playing five o'clock on Thursday in about three and a half hours. Hopefully on the U before the, on ESPNU, you can watch it right here and uh, or you can watch it right there. And um, yeah, like I said, there's there, there may not be a lot at stake for South Florida. There's a lot at stake for UCF here. So um, so we'll be watching that and keeping a close eye on that. On the other side, on the men's side of things, well. Senior day went, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say it went exactly as as hoped <laughs> because it was a wild game, Murph. It was, uh, you know, UCF was looking like they were going to run away with it against Tulsa uh, a, up by 16 at the half. And then all of a sudden, I don't know what Tulsa caught, but they just couldn't miss. They, in the second half, they were 15 of their first 17 from the field. And they they were outscoring UCF in the first twelve minutes of the second half, forty to eighteen. Uh, and I, I've never seen a team shoot so hot to start a second half in my entire life. That was that was a you, you could almost frame it and put it on a wall. It was amazing. They were seven, 15 of seventeen, six of six from three, and they missed one free throw. Or they hadn't missed a free throw at least at that point. It was really stunning. But then. They regressed the living hell out of that mean because <laughs> they went yeah. two of eleven the rest of the day, and UCF gets the seventy three sixty nine win. But like that, that was a weird game, wasn't it, Murph? That was, and that, that second half is just weirder because of how the first half unfolded, in which UCF only allows twenty one points, their second fewest points allowed in any half this year. They, you know, shut, shut Tulsa down at thirty percent shooting, and then Tulsa comes out. And looks like Villanova in '95 playing Georgetown. Well, except they weren't. They were uh, except they weren't hitting layups and bunnies. They were hitting threes. <laughs> they, yeah, right. Yeah. So I will say, they did. Tulsa made a concerted effort to drive more often in that second half, and their drives were like floaters and really like great footwork and like tough shots even in the lane. And then some of the threes were like, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that. You know, got to tip your hat and move on. Uh, you know, it just was one of those streaks. We were like, you know, this is amazing. And this is not exactly a fantastically high-powered, efficient Tulsa offense. And for them to do that, pull that off of that, and for about 13 minutes there in the second half where it just seemed like, okay, they're not going to miss again. Uh, <laughs> it was it was nuts. And UCF's defense, you know, sh- showed up late. Um, they hit some big shots down the stretch, uh, made their free throws, which was nice. I tell you, this team has made – really made some progress with free throws this year. We haven't talked about it much, but um, it's, it's kind of amazing that this team is, is shooting as well as it, it is considering where it's been under Johnny Dawkins throughout his entire tenure here. That, yeah. That's been important for this team. So UCF pulls out this win uh, and now heads into tonight's season finale against ECU, uh, where basically if they win against the worst team in the conference, they will clinch the sixth seed for next week's tournament. Right. So ECU is last. UCF, by the way, nine and eleven right now. So, um, man, it's a bummer that the that the Temple game got scotched because on Saturday because of COVID issues with Temple apparently. Because yeah. had they won that game and then won now, granted, you know, if if some butts of candy were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. But uh, had they beaten Temple, which is not outside the realm of possibility. Temple's four and ten in the conference in the year. UCF is seven and ten. It would have been nice to get to five hundred by the end of the regular season, right? Eh. Uh, eh. Well, it's eh. better than being sub five hundred at the end of the regular season. I mean, it, but that's all. That's all like aesthetics. It doesn't really 
no one's no one's gonna remember like you got the nine and ten or ten and ten or nine and nine. Like it, it, it meh. Just I don't really care. All much right, about that. fine, whatever. But uh, all right. So this game in Greenville, though, um, you said yeah. UCF would would clinch the sixth seed, which means they would play on the first day of the tournament, which would be uh, Thursday, March the 11th, and they right. would play the number 11 seed dead last, which would be, at least as of right now, it looks like to be ECU uh, again, because uh, ECU right. is 2-8 and eight in the league. They're, they're last. Tulane is second to last at 4-12, and 12, so compare the win percentages, and you know uh, ECU is not going to catch Tulane even if they beat UCF, so. Well, they would. Well, they would actually. Oh, they would. Oh, <laughs> As, and now, now again, they beat they beat UCF. It, basically, ECU has two games left, and they they're playing UCF tonight on Thursday, and then they play Cincinnati, also in Greenville. Oh, that's right. If yeah. they split those two, if they split one of those two games, they would finish with the same winning percentage as Tulane, who is not playing for the rest of the year. Tulane's last game got scrapped because they're supposed to play USF. But the can the, the the conference has decided that Tulane has played too many. They have played sixteen conference games. They played too many games. They're USF, like, you're done. You're you're not playing anymore. So USF has only played thirteen, and Wichita State at this moment has played twelve. So the prize didn't give a forfeit out. On <laughs> so instead of giving Tulane a seventeenth game, they've now matched USF with Wichita State this weekend. To give them an extra game each. Uh, that's that's why they're that's why that game got that's why the game got. Uh, but I'm okay with that. I'm actually okay. That's what I wish the women would have done. They should have done that for the women to balance out the schedule. I'll let it go. I'll try to let it go. Continue. So UCF would. He's not going to let it go. So UCF, if they win tonight against ECU, and remember they had a pretty easy time with ECU a few weeks ago back here in Orlando. That was one of the games where I thought Jamil Reynolds played really really well. Yeah, he did. Uh, uh, they would be the sixth seed. That that would be the late game on ESPNU next Thursday. That would actually be the lead-in to the women's final Thursday night. So you could have a UCF men's basketball first-round game preceding, hopefully, a UCF women's basketball championship final uh, late Thursday 10 night. 10 p.m. Eastern, mm. to be specific. Get your caffeine ready there, Murph. Yeah, get some coffee. Get some coffee. So this, this, this tournament, guys, obviously it's going to be weird. But because every conference tournament is going to be weird, we got we got teams traveling into one centralized location, and you know right now there's questions about SMU who hasn't played in nearly a month uh, due to suspension of activities because of COVID-19. Temple has been suspended since the game against UCF got canned here uh, last weekend. Uh, will they be able to play? SMU uh, is locked in right now to the four seed. Cincinnati is locked into the five seed, and those two teams or at least SMU, excuse me, is very uh, optimistic that they will be playing in this tournament because SMU, on their official website, has already put down Cincinnati as its scheduled opponent for the 4-5 <laughs> game next Friday. Uh, now, Alrighty, I, then. I think it's just, yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I think it's not, I don't think that's open and shut because obviously we don't know if SMU is going to come back, if they're going to be cleared, or this also has to be a possibility. Upon arrival... Might a team test positive where they have a couple positives when they arrive in Fort Worth and they would be eliminated from the tournament even before they play. Or maybe a team plays Thursday and they test positive the next day. Then they would be eliminated. In that case, the tournament field would be receded and basically everyone would move up a peg. 
So if like if if SMU comes in Fort Worth and and they test positive, they test positive, they would be scrapped, and UCF would actually move up a rung onto the five line, which means UCF would go from playing Thursday night to Friday afternoon. <laughs> so, so so what you're saying is that if if somebody above UCF has a COVID issue and they can't go, that would give UCF a free buy, is what you're saying. It's sort of like a half buy, because there wouldn't be they would not be playing they would be playing a team also on a buy. They'd be playing the four seed who is not playing on Thursday either. Oh, but yes, they would not be playing on that Thursday. Uh but this goes for anybody. This could go for any team. I mean, you know, obviously is Temple gonna be available to play? If they're if they're not available to play, then teams like Tulane and ECU would move up a spot. And the the eleven seed would basically be eliminated. Uh, and then, like, if, if you're if you're Houston, and it does sound like Houston's going to play in this tournament, and I understand you want to play basketball to stay in rhythm and whatnot, but, like, why why would Houston want to play in this tournament? Because there's – there's I know Houston right now is not the one seed, but they are absolutely locked into this NCAA tournament as yeah, either a two They're the or number a, five in the, in, the, in the net. Number five. Yeah, they're, they're going to be a two or a three seed regardless of what they do in the tournament. Right. They're either a two or a three. Wichita State, which is the one seed in this tournament right now, uh, is not even close to the bubble. They need to win the tournament to even get in to the NCAAs. Yeah. Memphis and SMU are sort of on the bubble, but, but not really. Memphis, they're quiet, off. They Memphis quietly has played themselves into even being in the conversation for the bubble. It's kind of funny. They've kind of been under the radar. Yeah. Um, since really that that two wins over UCF with Penny and Company, right? Well, here, well, to give you real quick, I'm so sorry, Murph. Um, uh, Wichita's at 62, Memphis is at 55, SMU's at 54 in the net. So go and ahead. what's sad about SMU is you know SMU is a really, I mean, we talked about their offense and they're a really good team before before you know COVID has gotten them and they've shut and they had to shut things down and and, and they haven't played since early February, uh, and you know they played games and kept kept on their you know current track. Uh, this is probably an easy second team in from the American, but now um, they they've really got to you know probably win the tournament just to get in. Um, so it's it's going to be weird. I, I I think there's there is a non-zero chance that we will have a team that either doesn't choose to play or can't play or is eliminated during the tournament because of COVID reasons. Like they're well, also they're in Texas. <laughs> they're going to go to Fort Worth. Lest, way, lest we forget. <laughs> Has been in the news this week for its, uh, you know, ab- you know, this is sort of a abdication of COVID protocols. So, uh, look, it's going to be a weird tournament. Texas, yeah, Texas, right has, now, Texas has decided that COVID nineteen is over. Is basically what you're saying. Yeah. So UCF is it would be the sixth that they win against ECU. That's the end of their season. Uh, and then if, if if nothing else happens, they would play ECU again. Assuming ECU loses to Cincinnati this weekend, which I believe we can assume, uh, if that all happens, they would play Thursday night, and, and then we'll talk on Wednesday and see if the field has changed at all since then. Right. I don't know. And which then there's one a last chance. Note. It's a possibility. Yeah. Yeah, CJ Walker. CJ Walker did not play against Tulsa on Tuesday. He was uh, shown uh, wearing a boot during pregame warmups. Did not dress out. Uh, Johnny Dawkins said after the game that he has had a continuation of rolling his right ankle, uh, which sounds awful. I mean, it's just brutal. Tape but that kid up, in, man. In case, <laughs> yeah. In any case, uh, we he was not – Johnny was not firm on, on if CJ will play tonight against CCU. He said he was hopeful that if he couldn't play tonight, that he would play in the tournament. But yeah, again, this I mean, is all very – 
Don't you feel, Murph, the, the the caution there is you just don't play him here and get ready for next week? I mean, I, obviously I could be proven wrong by the time this, you know, depending on when people are listening to this, but I, I would be surprised if he played, personally. Yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if they, they again, opted on the side of caution here, thinking that they, they can beat ECU without him. I mean, really, they beat a much better team in Tulsa without him. Uh, so, Although, granted, yeah, they could have used him with the rebounding, especially in that second half. Yeah, no, I agree. But you're right. Uh, if he's not 100, 110%, which is not a real percentage because no one can be more than 100%, then they're not going to play him. Uh, and, and we'll see if he can go next Thursday or Friday. Uh, hopefully then. But hopefully then. But the, my, my, the, the upshot here is we really don't have a firm idea of when CG will play. Murph casting shade on coaching cliches. I love it. Uh, if so, so again, if UCF, let's assume that the that the that the uh, field stays the same and no one gets eliminated. So UCF would play again 7 p.m. ESPNU on Thursday. At least that's what we're thinking as of this second. If yeah. they win that game, it's game number three. They would play the number three seed, which at this very second that we are recording this is the Memphis Tigers. So, uh, yeah, that, as that, we know, things can stay, change. That's, that's probably going to stay that way, by the way. I don't see right. Memphis falling out of that three seed or moving up to the two line. Well, we've got – well, like we said, though, you have uh, you have the ECU situation where they play against Cincinnati uh, on Sunday to wrap up the uh, to wrap up the regular season. By the way, Memphis and Houston on CBS at noon uh, to wrap up the regular yeah. season. Ooh, uh, where's, I, the game, where's the game at? I, uh, Houston. Oh, could that be Jim Nance's uh, first uh, college hoops game, perhaps? Maybe get a warm-up. He did that last year. He did the uh, a Houston game. It might have been against Memphis as well. So, who knows? Well, no- it's noon uh, at the Fertitta Center on CBS. So, well, a good chance to get a look know, at those two teams Jim coming Nance in. Jim Nance is a UH alum. That's why. Wasn't he, the, uh, wasn't he roommates with um, Fred right, Couples? Couples? Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, when the Masters, yeah, back in yep. 92. There. Uh, our good friend Jim Nance, right, Murph? Hey, you, you've got a picture with him. So yeah, you still have that picture you, up buddy. there. Thanks yeah. to you, you. You took the photo. Fantastic look, photo. Look, I w- I, again, I would be shocked if Memphis goes into Houston this weekend and wins that game, which is why I'm very confident that, that, that Memphis will remain on that three line, uh, which I, I don't know. It, that doesn't sound like great news. <laughs> that doesn't sound like great news for UCF, considering what we've seen from those, uh, from those two teams yeah. this season. All right. Well, either way, we'll still get UCF against ECU, uh, and that will be uh, tonight. 9 9 p.m. start in Greenville on ESPNU. Don't forget, the women's game is at 5. That's on... The U? That's on the U as well. All UCF all the time on ESPNU tonight. It's great. Love it. Keep it up. ESPN-UCF is what should be channeled. Ah, look at the marketing. Look at the marketing, Eric Lopez. All right. So uh, keep an eye on that, and we'll uh, and obviously we'll have the previews of the tournament coming up uh, in the uh, over the weekend once we figure out exactly where and who UCF is going to be playing. All right, stick around. When we get back. We'll talk a little football news. Yes, a little bit of football news. Gus Malzahn, the Gus Bus, is out of the station. Man, look at this. It's 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 already roaming around, scooping up guys out of that transfer portal. Stick around. We'll talk about that and more when we get back. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. 
And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, we're going to talk about football here. Yeah, not too much to talk about. There really wasn't too much news. We're, we're meeting the new assistants day by day. And uh, thanks to Dan Forsell for setting this up. Um, every day over the next couple of weeks, we're uh, doing little press conferences with the, each of the new assistant coaches and getting to know them better. Um, uh, Drew uh, Glukov has been all over that, and we appreciate him, as have the both of you guys. So thanks to you, fellas. Um, and we've been live tweeting them out, so that's kind of cool. Um, but what, what, here's what I want to talk about, Brian Murphy. Um, the legitimacy of Gus Malzahn at UCF is making its way through the transfer portal. Uh, because we've already heard about uh, 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 Mark Anthony Richards transferring yes. to UCF from Auburn, the running back, and he's going to get some run. A couple more uh, transfers coming in. Nate Craig Myers, he's a wide receiver, 6'2", 205. Played for Gus at Auburn, then transferred to Colorado State. Now he said that he's going to super transfer to UCF. Super transfer, obviously, being a grad student uh, to finish out his eligibility. He's actually played five seasons, and he's going to play a sixth season mm-hmm. for UCF. Uh, Big Cat Bryant, defensive lineman. Big fella, 6'4", 226. Outside defensive end. Uh, he's coming to UCF. Uh, boy. This is uh, this is this is starting to get pretty interesting around here. There's, he's, it's, it feels like Gus is getting the band to get back together, and you know I'm not alone in thinking that because of all people, Carry On Johnson actually went on Twitter and said, "Hey, we getting the band back together down in UCF? What's up with this?" <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but this is a real uh, I don't know. This is a real story right now. Like you know, with Gus going down there uh, or coming down here, he's he's pulling in guys who. He has coached before, and uh, and wants to, uh, and they want to play for him again. I think that speaks to a number of things. What are your thoughts, Murph? Well, I well, one thing uh, you just said, you just you just read off of Big Cat Bryant's vitals of six four two. He's listed on Auburn's website six five two fifty, which seems like oh. a massive difference. Well, he's even so, bigger than I thought. Uh, okay, I, <laughs> I, I, I think he's, I think he is much closer to two fifty as a. D- uh, it, it certainly looks good. Uh, I mean, both the you know because the both these players have Auburn ties. We'll start with Nate Craig Myers. Uh, you know, as UCF continues to compile uh, guys with three names, uh, I, it's more size for the receiving core. He spent a couple years at Auburn, wasn't terribly productive. Has spent the last two years at Colorado State, wasn't terribly productive there either. But uh, did show some flashes of big playmaking ability. Had some long gains, uh, long bomb catches. Uh, and again, six two. We talked about this. We've talked about this since the season ended. That with 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 the certain players that were leaving, the Jacob Harris's, Trey Nixon's, UCF needed to get bigger in the receiving core. You know, Brandon Johnson from Tennessee is already is already here. Now Nate Craig Myers is six two. I think that's just another way that they can add more size to their receiving core. The tie in here is not only did he not only was he at Auburn, but he's from Dade City. He's a Florida kid, so for him, it's sort of like uh, you know coming back home. Um, but Big Cat Brian, this is a that this is a massive get. Um, I'm really excited about this because one, I think he's going to come in and slot in right away as a starter at DN. 
this is not a guy who is like trying to like reclaim his you know, like re- like reclaim his career. Big Cat Brian was his second team All SEC selection in 2019. If he had season uh, in 2020, he we, we would not be talking about him going to UCF. We, he would be going to the draft. This is yeah. that is not that, that is not this is it, absolutely he, his college career would be over. He'd be playing for the draft. Unfortunately, he sprained an ankle the week before uh, Auburn's first game. He did play a lot of those games, but he was never 100%, really fought through that injury for most of the year. His stats were down, uh, and it really affected him. And, you know, then he decided, you know, after the bowl game, his last his, – the bowl game that he played in 2020 was here in in, uh, in Orlando. He played it in the uh, – I believe it was the Citrus Bowl against uh, Northwestern. And uh, we, they talked to him after the game, and, and some of the Auburn media asked him uh, if this was his last game or uh, whether he was going to come back or go to pro. And he said then that he didn't know and he'll figure it out. I really do believe that if he was healthy all season and he was the Big Cat Bryant that had been at Auburn for the last couple of years, he's been there for four years, but really the last couple of years he's really shined. If he was that guy, he would not be going to any more colleges. He'd be going. To, uh, but I don't think it's game that he, the UCF's game that he was hurt. Also, UCF's gained that Tennessee fired their entire staff because before this, Big Cat Bryant had already committed to transfer to Tennessee because his uh, high school coach was a defensive coach at Tennessee. That, but but he was on the staff that was headed by Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, I don't know if UCF fans know that know this, but Tennessee's uh, staff has gone over a, a bit of an overhaul since then. Uh, and with with no. the coach, yeah, you don't I say. know. Breaking news. So and with his so with his high school coach no longer at Tennessee, Big Cat Bryant said, "Well, I don't need to stay here either. I, I want to make this very clear. Big Cat Bryant did not leave Tennessee because he doesn't like Josh Heupel. <laughs> <laughs> I think people wanted to connect dots about like he's he decommitted from Tennessee because oh he doesn't want to play for Josh Heupel. No, he didn't want he wanted to go there to play for the guy who coached him in high school, who then was no longer there. Um, so he he wanted to find another spot. He's reconnecting with Gus Malzahn." He's reconnecting with Travis Williams, who was his defensive coach at Auburn for for many years. So this this is this makes sense. This is a huge gift for UCF. He's a big t- tackles for loss guy. Um, I, I think I really I'm really excited for this. I mean, I know we kind of poo poo uh, Mark Anthony Richards a little bit last last week because you know he hasn't had a whole lot of you know he hasn't done a whole lot in his career yet. He's a he, you know he only played one year. He had a few carries last season. It was okay. You know, Nate Craig Myers, he's been around for a long time, but he really hasn't put up big numbers. I don't know what he's going to add other than just size. Like, is he going to be a game – is he going to be a game-breaker? I don't know. Experience. Ben, he's Bryan's like 24 right. years old. <laughs> yeah, but Big Cat Bryant's going to come in right away, guys, and start, I think, right away. And we're talking about a future NFL player. Yeah, this is, a, this is really exciting. Eric, this is, a, this is the Gus effect at work, right? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. It's the Gus effect. And what's so fascinating and just talking, you know, I was Coach Gibbs, you know, you mentioned the assistants talking. What's fascinating to me is they will they're saying, look, we don't know what we're going to run until we know what the players are good at. You know, we want to see what they can do and cannot do. And I think that's so refreshing because a lot of times coaches and and coaching staffs force systems into a, a, a roster that doesn't fit. Yep. And I feel like the thing that's impressed me about, you know, listening to these assistants and Gus talk is they can adapt and they can definitely relate. And I think that's why players are coming here because they know that they know 
they could trust this staff to put them in the best position for them to succeed. And I think that's what you're seeing, and that's why they're having the, the success of guys coming over that you're seeing. I'm so glad you made that point because how many times have I said it to you guys, you know, off air that, that the mark of a truly great coach is he doesn't fit the players to his system. He fits the system to his players. You know, that that's and, you know, for all the talk about like what Gus has done, you know, from the high school level through through a state, even the one year he's there into Auburn, you know, he knows how to adapt his system to the personnel that he has. And that's that's a rare talent for a lot of coaches. And I think that's going to serve UCF well here going forward. Now, Murph, are there still some holes left that you that you think UCF has to fill here in the time that we have between, you know, now and spring practice in terms of uh, uh, in terms of what personnel they need to get get in there? Or do you think that right now they're pretty set with what they have? Well, I think those holes will be filled by the uh, by some of the hundreds of recruiting offers that Gus Malzahn has sent out over the past week. Oh my God! Uh, look, yeah, it's been a lot uh, for people who have been following, who have not been following. It appears that Gus Malzahn and UCF football is offering to basically everybody, uh, and among those everybody's, you're going to get 25 kids. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about this. <laughs> so, again, I don't know if they're going to bring another transfer. I, I thought running back, wide receiver, and DB were, were some weak spots for them they needed to address. They've done wide receiver. They've done running back. Uh, I think the DBs are going to try to trust some of the freshmen that were, you know, the freshmen last year going into their second year. Also having Devontae Dawson back after he opted out last season would help mm-hmm. as well. So maybe they, maybe they don't address it there. But I want to talk about Gus Malzahn, what he's doing right now, basically casting a wide net around the country and offering anybody who is willing to listen, uh, uh, you know, a a UCF scholarship. I think this is – I have two thoughts about this. One, I think this could excite the fan base because if you look at a lot of the kids that he's off, these are four-star kids. There's a couple of five-star – there's at least two five-star kids that I know about that have been offered by Gus uh, and and the program – and I know that excites the fan base, and I, I think he's—I think that's one of the reasons why he's doing this, because I—you can't sign all these kids. You don't have enough spots. They have, I think, 20, 22 to twenty-five. I'm not exactly sure the, the number, but you're not going to get all these kids. But look, making it look like you're making the effort to get them uh, is is appealing to the fans. Secondly, because they can't sign all these kids, and I do believe that UCF will probably end up still with maybe only one four-star, maybe two four-stars in this next class. This, I feel like, is going to leave – this is like raising expectations that UCF can't possibly meet, and thus the fan base will be disappointed when next year's recruiting class has a bunch of three-stars in it, and they go, what happened to all these four-stars we were offering? Like, you know, guys, we've, we've talked about how stars don't matter, but as long as you get the players you want – that's what matters. And I think those players that he's offering, there's probably a good chance that most of them don't come to UCF. But you know, and, and let's not be disappointed by that. I, I, yeah. I really think like there's being an effort being made to excite the fan base. If they don't get them, they don't get them. I get it. Uh, but I don't think Josh Heupel ever recruited this type of athlete, this this caliber of athlete before uh, in such wide numbers. I, 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 I don't just, even think Scott Frost did either. No, and, and, and just when it comes back that – UCF might end up with, as far as stars go, kind of the same rating, maybe a little better than in years past. I don't want fans to be disappointed because they got their high, they got their hopes up after well, seeing all these offers put out there. 
Well, and, I and, and well, Murph, uh, David Gibbs agrees with everything you just said. That's what he pretty much parallels what he said in his uh, presser this week, the co-defense coordinator. He's like, because they asked him about the four-star that he was asked that. He's like, that's a setup question, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like, like he's like, look, we want players in that fit our system, whether they're four stars, three stars, whatever, because you know we got to know you know, what we need in our team. We, you know, it's great that you have a four-star, but if you bring in a four-star where you're already deep in a position and they're not going to play, what's the point? Basically, I'm paraphrasing what he's saying. So uh, I think it gets overblown on stuff. I think the big thing they want to do is they want to be in the mix for a lot of these athletes. And they're not, I think they know they're not going to get all of them. I think it's just, okay, who, who fits us? Who's the guy we really need to go after? And then who's our backup plan and plan C? And I think that's a good – they have a plan. And I, you know, and that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Mm, yeah. I, I think so. And I, I just, I just don't want fans to be disappointed when Yusef ends up with like maybe one four star out of all these kids. Oh come on, boo! What's I going on? That's probably what's going to happen. Recruiting has failed. Brian, <laughs> why aren't we recruiting this area? And you know, in, in the in the Panhandle in Florida, we got like eight stars there. Like, what are they doing? By the way, like, like you, you wanted UCF to recruit Florida more. He is recruiting Florida a. Lot, but yeah. because again he's offering it to everybody so by like by just sheer number he's offering more he's offering more uh, offers to, to kids in florida because he's offering to everybody in georgia anyone in the southeast texas it doesn't matter like just everybody hey mm. just remember we're the future of college football now guys i like oh, that I, video by I, the way i like I do, that video that I, was I'm very not gonna good lie, i do i, I kind of by the yeah, way they, uh we have a, and, and we, we didn't get to talk about this on last week podcast but we have a um a spring game set for set for that's right april right april the 10th we don't know what time it is uh we do know that there will be fans permitted uh don't know if they're gonna stream it uh just yet but i I guess we'll be working out those details later biggest spring game of all time (laughs) program history i will (laughs) i'll make an announcement right here I'm not going to that. Wow! Oh! <laughs> I, I will not right there. Right there. Right. I there. will. I will be. I will, I will be doing something else. You know who is going like to that? Also remember. The Yours voice truly. of UCF Knights. No, stop saying that. That's Mark <laughs> Daniels. He will be there. Uh, but I will be there. I will be there. So it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I mean, how much do you really learn? I mean, like, what's the offense going to really look like? I don't think it's going to look uh-huh. too overly different well, they're going to keep things pretty it, basic but. i mean I'm, i i kind of joke about it but there is a a, a buzz here yeah like, like like i mean and i can tell you because i do a lot of numbers like the, the social media numbers for ucf like the gus malzahn videos have exploded like it's done big numbers he was just on marty smith on his show uh marty and mcgee he was on with fine bombers i mean he's he's gonna be available and people are interested Obviously, night fans are interested. I think non-night fans are interested. There's, there's, there's a lot of national of interest. Yeah. A lot it's of national really, interest. It's, it's exciting. I mean, it, there's a buzz. And so while I do laugh about it, I do think it's one of the most anticipated spring games for a lot of reasons. One being that Gus, you know, seeing how Gus and things look. Even though, we, as we, we all know, nothing. you're not going to see anything. You're not going to learn anything. But I would say, Jeff, wouldn't you agree? This is right up there with maybe Scott Frost's first spring game. Like, uh, it's, and that was, yeah, right? Like, it, we're all, both spring game. Yeah. yeah, we're both spring game skeptics, right? But there yeah. was a definite buzz around the Scott Frost spring game. Um, and I think that, you know, the fact that UCF kind of turned it into a, a sort of like a football carnival 
you know, I think was part of the big part of the big draw of it. Like they had the concert and they had the bounce houses everywhere and the food trucks and the whole thing. Um, obviously, we won't get that this year, unfortunately. Um, but there is more buzz around. It. I think were it not for COVID, we would see a lot more. Uh, we would see a lot, even that much more buzz around it than we normally would. Because right now we're just going to be we're just going to be basically looking at football, right? Instead of like having a nice day out at UCF football during in the month of April. Um, but I, I, I'm intrigued to see it. You know, I mean, maybe we can pick up some little key differences between what UCF was doing uh, with uh, with Josh Heupel and what we're planning on seeing from Gus Malzahn now. So, um, you know, are we going to see much? I don't know, but no, I want to. No, see, you will not. I, I want to a- see. I I, I just want. I just want to catch a glimpse. Maybe I. You know, it, it, that's the anticipation of it. You know, it's got. The, we oh, still have. We got the way, new car smell. You know, it's way, back. By the way, I already know where Brian's going to be that day. He actually has a legitimate oh. reason not to be at the spring game. All right, ready for this? Okay. Can't wait. April tenth, one ten, first pitch at the Trop, Yankees Yanks. race. Yeah, huh? I, huh? I, I'd be Murph, you can catch up with our friend Chad Matola. Yeah, uh, that's actually not a bad idea. That's actually not a bad <laughs> fact, idea. Murph, we're gonna force you to cover that. We're, we're not gonna take a no. You're gonna have to miss the spring game. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness! There are I, important I, things. I know but... it's a real, it's a real bummer. Uh, you know, <laughs> God, the spring game. Can we just call it a spring practice? Can we stop yeah, with the game practice. thing? It's just it overrates it. Yes, spring scrimmage. Let's call it that. That's that's. Let's call oh. it that. All right, oh. we'll do that. All right, uh, we're gonna take a break. When we get back, lots to talk about in the grab bag. We've got baseball, whomping Ole Miss, and then not doing the same against Stetson quite, but still. Wild game last night. Softball, volleyball, soccer, and plenty more. We return. It's the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back in. Jeff, Eric, and Brian with you here on uh, recording this on this Thursday afternoon. I'm going to try and hurriedly edit this so it gets up before the women's basketball game at 5 o'clock. All right. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, though, outside of that. Uh, let's start with UCF baseball. Wild week for them, huh, Murph? First, you go up to Ole Miss. You're playing number one. Uh, you were uh, remarkably cool on expectations heading into the weekend series with Ole Miss. And what do they do? They go in and they beat Ole Miss in, on Friday, three to two. They lose on a walk off on Saturday in the first game, and then come back and beat them seven to two uh, in the second game on Saturday. So they take two out of three from the number one team in the country. Uh, of course, now last night, uh, different result entirely in his weird game up at Melching Field. UCF loses to Stetson 6-5, to five, um, which is a bummer. But I want to talk about the Ole Miss game, for, the Ole Miss series first, because that was, what, what in the world happened? <laughs> <laughs> well, UCF's pitching showed up. That, oh, that, yeah, is, they did. That is that is what happened because uh, obviously it didn't it didn't go that way against against FAU. Uh, they, you know they were they were cleaner in the field in some games too that helped, and the and the bat stayed pretty hot. The most impressive part of that series last weekend was coming back from the game one loss in which UCF was up five to three going to the bottom of the ninth inning. They lose that game six to five. There were a couple of fielding miscues in that ninth inning that exacerbated issues that led to the defeat. And yet, UCF, after that really heartbreaking loss, comes back within 45 minutes, scores first, scores early. A.J. Jones is dominant on the mound. Uh, 
and and really they they kind of put their foot on Ole Miss's throat in that game, and you know where really they could have been, you know, down on themselves and beating themselves up and, and sort of giving that game up, and they and they absolutely did not. It was the most game I thought of the entire weekend, um, but it really was the pitching, and uh, I thought you know. That, that, that is more of what we expected to see, certainly from the likes of Hunter Pattison and Colton Gordon. I thought A.J. Jones striking out 10 over 6 was incredible. That, was I, I, that, that kind of shocked me. That was pretty shocking. He was also really efficient. Um, you know, his, his you know his changeup is really, really good. Uh, but I, I wonder I, – I, I, that that seems like something that that won't be consistent. I, we're all hoping for consistency. I, I have more faith in in Gordon and Pattinson, uh, Pattinson than I do with Jones. I, I want to see what he looks like this weekend against Liberty, but uh, certainly not t- not taking anything away from them. They were they were dynamite uh, dynamite that past weekend uh, on the mound against Ole Miss. Yeah, um, you're right, and I'm so glad that. Patterson got into the act. I mean, he was pretty decent. At, you know, he gave up three earned and six hits over five, but he was good. And the bullpen looked like they were pulling it pretty well together. Um, you know, bummer for David Litchfield, you know, that Ole Miss got hot in that ninth inning. But aside from that, I mean, even the bullpen, I thought, performed really well on Friday. They were really good. I mean, they they, they basically shut Ole Miss down uh, aside from the one home run. But, you know, in a in a game where, you know, they gave, UC, they gave themselves a chance to win uh, in the latter innings and, you know, Obviously, with Crouch's homer that uh, that put UCF up two to one, and then McCabe uh, knocking in that run in that fielder's choice, that was uh, tremendous for UCF. And Litchfield got the save in that night, so it was you know it, it, so close to getting the sweep. But uh, then they had come back, they placed Stetson at Melching Field in a game that was really weird. Uh, UCF fell down four to one by the fifth. In the sixth, uh, UCF got within two or excuse me, got got two to get within one. And then in the eighth, uh, just all bunch of, a whole bunch of weird stuff happened in order to give UCF the lead. Uh, Noah Orlando, you know, there was a... Okay, so the situation was, in the eighth, UCF had uh, runners on the corners and, yeah. were, and, uh, and were down one. Noah Orlando goes from first uh, to try and steal second. And the Stetson catcher tried to throw him out, and the and their pitcher, their their outstanding uh, closer, by the way, uh, Danny mm-hmm. Garcia, who ended up getting the win actually as the pitcher of record, um, caught the ball like he was like he was like the catcher was just throwing it back to him, uh, and he then jumped, he, he had to jump up, he had to jump up to get it though, like right, it, it was like <laughs> I, I, I went, you know, there must have been a part of him that was like, dude, where are you throwing this ball and. Uh, and he's he sort of dropped it. They kick it around the infield a little bit, and then that allowed Jordan Rathbone to score. Uh, they charged the error to the catcher, which I don't think they should have done that. I mean, he was he was doing his job trying to throw out the runner at second, but a little double steal action. Uh, Orlando or, or uh, Rathbone scores to tie it, and then uh, and then a couple bat or, or, or a, a little bit later, Pablo Ruiz with a little CNI single out to right that knocks in the go ahead run that scores Orlando, and then he. Th- gets himself thrown out at second as he was trying to, you know, as they were trying to throw the ball home. But then in the yeah. bottom of the inning, uh, Stetson scored a pair to take the lead. UCF had a shot in the ninth. Uh, it didn't work out, and, and Stetson gets the 6-5 to five win, and they clinched the series sweep of UCF. Uh, uh, it's been a while since Stetson has actually swept UCF, hasn't it? 
I believe so. I, I maybe well maybe not that long because 2018 they were pretty dynamite. Oh yeah, you're right. Are we, the... we kind of really overanalyzing a midweek game? Like, and by well, like, here, well, here's the thing. Here, I mean, yeah, that okay. That's why. Yeah, Stetson is off to a 10 and 0 start. That's their best start in 108 years. And yeah. and their pitching, listen, their pitching's good. That that team that team's got some arms. Uh, surprise, surprise. Stetson can pitch. Uh, so how do we measure these last four games, taking two out of three from the number one team in the country, but then losing that close one against Stetson? Uh, I, I, I really was skeptical about Stetson going into this game. I, I thought if you look at like, yes, they'd beaten UCF last week here at home. But if you look at their other their other wins against like FAMU and I think it was Northern Alabama, like it's not terribly impressive competition. So I felt like. Their what their not what was their nine and record was kind of soft, um, but yeah that, that pitching staff is really really good. They 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 churn out quality they churn out quality starts like nobody's business right now, uh, and the hitting is just enough uh, to get it done. Uh, and, and so yeah I think I think I think Stetson is legit. I have no I have no problems I really have no problems with that loss. Uh, yeah. The problems really were UCF again, not being somehow being terrible and also good defensively in the <laughs> yeah. field. Like, there were some web jams, and then they also committed four errors. Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. Like, there's Jordan Rathbone crashing into an unpadded part of the right field wall to catch a ball, and then there's a bad pickoff throw. You know, and it was just like – it was a lot, of, a lot of sloppiness, but also a lot of sterling play in the field. So it was just interesting. And that's been happening a lot for UCF this year. Their defense is a kind of an issue – like right now, it's a big issue for for them right now. It's the reason why they lost that game on Wednesday night against Stetson. I I like this lineup a lot. I think Alex Freeland uh, is off to an amazing start. Obviously, he was hitting 500 going into that Stetson game last night, and I believe he's kind of sold his soul to the Bapit gods, where he's just hitting balls on the ground that sort of find a hole. Uh, and I feel like he will cool off at some point because again, some of those sometimes those holes won't be there. But right now, it's fun to watch a freshman play as well as he's playing. Ben McCabe has a lot of power. It's been great. The pitching's back on track. Uh, so I like those those parts. My concern is the fielding, the depth of the bullpen, which doesn't seem to be terribly deep right now. It seems like the number of guys the great love lady is trusting in big situations is only about five, four or five guys in that bullpen uh, with Zach Hunsaker, who, again, looks really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Litchfield, uh, Zach Bennett, and, you know, you can throw Billy McKay in there. Uh, but I don't know who else he really trusts uh, out of that group, uh, and so it's kind of a thin pen. And then we, one of the one of the one of the major issues that I thought was kind of cleared up last night, hopefully, was Jackson Clair, uh, the preseason All Conference pick, the, the the anointed or you know assumedly anointed closer coming into this year, who had been really really messy on the mound, uh, just had not had any control in his first three appearances. He had hit at least one batter in each of his first three appearances. He had lots of walks, um, pitched three innings to start the game against Stetson, and was perfect. Now, pitched to a lot of contact, did not get a ton of swing and misses, but got a lot of soft ground balls, got a lot of soft fly balls, a lot of soft contact. Just to see Jack pitching that well is big for that bullpen. They're going to yeah. need him to be Jack Sinclair, not only to lengthen that bullpen out, which seems, again, rather shallow, but he can be the guy who, come the eighth inning or the ninth inning, can be a stopper in a close game, and it looked like that last night. Yeah, he looks really good last night. He was, it was, it was a solid performance overall. So UCF right now, 
the record, which we, you know, don't pay too close attention to this right now, because they only played two home games, and they're three and five right now. But uh, three games at home against Liberty, Friday six, Saturday four, Sunday 11. Uh, Liberty right now coming in is three and five. Anything of note? Not really. They got swept by uh, TCU earlier, um, or was it just last week, in fact, uh, over the weekend. Uh, didn't score more than two runs in any game, got blown out in two of them. Um Anything we should be concerned about? Oh, by the way, all three of those games will be on ESPN+. Plus. Anything we should be concerned about here? No, I mean, just not more than what I've already talked about. Just like, <laughs> don't, don't lose. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I agree. Like, they lost two out of three from Campbell. Um, and TCU, you know, while good, like, really obliterated them for that series uh, in, in Fort Worth. So this is not a great Liberty team. Uh, and, and UCF just needs to, again, clean up the defense a little bit. Uh, and and I really want to see if you know if if that pitching staff can do it again, especially AJ Jones. I'm really I'm really really interested to see AJ Jones start on Sunday because I right. feel like at some point people are going to stop chasing things in the dirt. <laughs> yes, at some point. Yes, maybe. All right. So that's the latest on uh, UCF baseball right now. Let's hop over to softball. Eric Lopez uh, sweep of McNeese State in three games. Pitching looked good. Hitting looked good in the third game. They shut out UNF uh, last night, eight to nothing, in a uh, shortened game because of the run rule. This team just keeps rolling here. Uh, they're ten and two, and they've got three against Kennesaw State, uh, one Saturday, two on Sunday. Um, where are we sitting? And that's before they play number two Arizona at home on Monday at uh, three p.m. That is a huge game. Um, where are we standing right now with UCF softball? What do we what are we going to hope to glean from the Kennesaw State series uh, before they uh, face the uh, Wildcats? Kennesaw State is led by head coach Trip McKay. He's a very legendary hitting coach at Oklahoma. Won a national title there. He's in his third season at Kennesaw. They're, they're kind of high expectations there. They should be in the contender for the A Sun Championship. They were twenty one and four last year before uh, the season came to an end. I actually just spoke to him prior to us recording. You know, he's got a young team that he's kind of up and down right now, so they're coming to Orlando. So that's the challenge. The key for UCF is not to overlook them and look ahead to that Arizona showdown on Monday, which is huge. It's a top 25 showdown. Arizona's ranked two or three, depending on where you look in the polls. They're a national title contender. So the key is for them not to overlook Kennesaw, and I don't think they will. I think they're a veteran team. They took care of North Florida, like you said, Aaliyah White with a shutout. Uh, keeps on rolling, and then the offense is clicking. The offense is in the top 15 in, uh, in runs scored, averaging over eight runs a game, batting average, slugging, on base, you name it. So they're mm-hmm. clicking on all cylinders right now. It's just keeping it going. So I'm curious to see how they come out. It's a weird schedule. It's a Saturday single game, doubleheader Sunday. I'm curious to see how they come out against Kennesaw, who will certainly uh, be ready to go. Uh, I want to real quick update some statistical things on softball, just just to, just to go a little bit more in depth. Aaliyah White right now, 6-0, 0.94 earn run average, three shutouts in six games. She's got 41 strikeouts and only 11 walks over 37 and a third. That's pretty, that's pretty good, folks. Uh, and opponents, by the way, are hitting 178 against her. Um, bested only by Gianna Mancha, who has the only law, or, or excuse me, has, uh, she doesn't have the only loss, but she's 3-1 and one on the year with a, 1.54 ERA and a .79 whip. And opponents are hitting 165 against her. And she's struck out 26 over 22 and two-thirds. Hitting-wise, UCF has um, 
I'm looking at, at their just their regular players, players who've uh, who've played uh, 12 or more. Uh, all but one of them are hitting over 320 right now. <laughs> that's that's pretty wild right now. Georgia Blair's got six home runs and 16 runs batted in. Uh, but don't forget, Juliana Wilson's got 13 RBIs, and Jasmine Esparza has got 13 RBIs. So um, yeah, balance have, top to bottom. Yeah, they, they've got they've got uh, of players who've played uh, all games so far. They have six who have an OPS over 1,000. <laughs> I mean, this is this team's got they have a team OPS of 1056. Like this is the, this is pretty wild what we're seeing from them right now. And I know it's early. I know it's early, but. This is pretty. This is a really good. Is this the best hitting team UCF team we've ever seen? It's got the potential to be for sure. Now we got to let it play out for a full year. But yes, I mean it has the potential to be that because they've got power, they've got speed, they got everything you would want. Now obviously the pitching will get better as they face Arizona, being among them moving forward. But yes, I think from an ups uh, potential standpoint, yes, I think this could go down as the best offensive team, if not the best overall team. But they got to prove it on the field. Yeah. And like you said, it's still early for that. But they're 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 locked in. I mean, they could beat you from many different ways, and they have a lot of different options they could do. I mean, you haven't even mentioned how off it, they're among the top stealing teams in the country. They can they don't just hit they don't hit for power. They hit for power. They could go for speed. I think they stole four bases in the win against North Florida. Hit like yeah. two homers. So. They've got a little bit of everything, deep pitching wise. They feel they're, they're such deep a enough, nightmare so. for opposing pitchers, aren't they? Yeah, because he, she can give them a lot of different looks. They're a deep roster, so she and she. And, you know, I think we've talked about it on this podcast. She's very much into analytics, and so there are players on the bench that maybe don't start, but will come into the game and play because they fit a certain matchup against certain pitchers. The pitchers, I guarantee you, whoever faces UCF will not see the same look over and over again. That's yeah. for sure. They will give them different looks and try to work matchups that they like. All right. So uh, once again, they have Kennesaw for three uh, yeah. this this weekend. Monday, 3 p.m., right? Arizona, and you've got Monday, that. Monday, 3 Eastern, big one. Me and my Francesca Anea, three-time All-American, will be joining me for that telecast. Should be a big one. With Arizona. By the way, the UNF game, Gus Malzahn was in a yeah. catching softball. Uh, Coach Baird talked about that after the game, and this is what she had to say about uh, Gus talk, watching a little softball. Oh, it's so awesome. I mean, it, it wasn't one of the warmest nights, so, you know, that that, that diehard support is, is great to have. And um, I hear him and Christy, um, more so Christy, are big softball fans, so – um, we're excited about that because we're huge football fans over here. And uh, I, it, it just shows how uh, strong we are as a, a department and connected already. Um, and so we're just excited for what he's going to do here. Uh, and just not only with his team, but, you know, the, the girls get to see him. And that just allows us to really, really feel that we're, we're connected and we mean something too as a softball team. So that was Coach Bear on the postgame talking about Gus Malzahn, who, by the way, boys, here's a little trivia for you. Gus is now the third UCF football head coach to watch a game at the UCF softball complex. George O'Leary went to a handful, a handful of games, even threw out a first pitch one year. And Scott Frost went over to see some UCF softball. And now Gus joins that list. I, I knew Frost went over to see some games. I didn't know that, that, that George went over. Because every time, we they would always have the um, – the, 
the football team would divide up into classes, freshmen, sophomore, junior, seniors, and then the winner, they would play some softball games, and then the winners would play the coaches in a yeah. in a game when they ended spring practice. So I knew he was over there a couple of times, but I didn't know that he went to actual games. Yeah, he did. He, so. And uh, he went to a, quite a few of them um, and during, during those days. I think they honored him after they won the 07 title, from what I recalled. So, yeah, yeah he did go to a bunch of games now. We just got to get Murph to come to a game now. Murph, you got Mike Kendrea, an Arizona diehard Yankee fan, Mike Kendrea. Uh, I was I was I was thinking about when you listed the coaches who have attended a UCF softball game and you didn't mention Josh Heupel. That's correct. Cue the people like, see, he didn't care about us. He <laughs> why was Josh Heupel there? He didn't care. The only time Josh was at softball was when they were playing that slow pitch uh, game. Remember the football guys? They would play that slow yeah. pitch with the coaching staffs. You know what I'm yeah, talking about? That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. So all right, there you go. So, Arizona, Monday 3. Don't forget the three-game set with Kennesaw. All those games will be on ESPN+. And you've got them all, right, Eric? That's the plan. All right. Yes, we will have the Arizona game. We'll have the doubleheader on Sunday against Kennesaw. Excellent. That will be fun. That'll be a lot of fun to watch. So, all right. Uh, volleyball. Quick update for you on that one. After uh, the Friday loss uh, at Florida State in five, back on the 26th of uh, February. Tough loss, by the way, for because they were right there, uh, won the first two, uh, although they re- got really out hit in the second. Really, Florida State kind of outplayed them the last four sets of the match uh, and then took care of business in the uh, in the fifth. McKenna Melville had uh, 18 kills. A lot of aces for UCF. They're serving really well right now. Um, eight total aces. Amber Olsen had five of them. Um, but right now, uh, UCF still st- so that ends the undefeated run for UCF volleyball. But they're still eight and one, and two and zero in the conference. And they have their conference season opening matches against ECU Friday at six, and then Saturday at two. So remember, they're playing uh, the teams in their side of the American twice. Uh, both matches at that particular site. So the only two matches against ECU will be at UCF. Then they go to Cincinnati the week after and then back home for South Florida for two at the end of March. And then that's it. That's the end of the, the regular season uh, for UCF volleyball. Now they do have a, um, a, a, a weekend off in between the Cincinnati trip and then the two, ga- uh, which is March 12th and 13th. And then the two matches against the bulls on the 26th and the 27th. And then at the start of April, it's AAC tournament time up in Cincinnati. So this this volleyball season is moving along very, very so, quickly. So here's the question. Obviously, they lose the two-set lead to FSU. Uh, I personally think it could be the best thing to happen to them because it keeps them kind of level, you know, refocus. Uh, and I expect them to blow out East Carolina. However, some worry that could that psychologically affect them if they struggle against DC. Where do you fall under that? No, I, I don't – I, I think that the whole um, – Oh, the pressure of being undefeated is lifted off their shoulders. I think that that bit's kind of overrated, but I also think that the you know playing a tough game or a tough match on the road against an opponent uh, such as Florida State, who by the way they beat in the first round of the NCAA tournament back in the fall of 2019. Um, I also think that 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 take is kind of overrated too, because I think that this is a much more mentally tough team. That we've seen. And it all comes back to McKenna Melville, who is, like I said, I don't think she gets enough credit for how mentally tough she is. Um, 
she plays chess out there when everybody's playing checkers. And if they're, and you know, it's one thing for the coaches to be like, Hey, let's shake it off. But it's another thing for the players to be like, Hey, we'll shake it off. We still got the conference season ahead of us. We've got six big matches coming up. Uh, and we can set ourselves up really nicely for the conference tournament and get into the NCAA field. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not too worried about that either way. I think they measured up very nicely with Florida state. Who's a very good team there. Uh, there, they should, at least get a shot at the NCAA tournament in the ACC. They'll they are an ACC contender. Um, I think that UCF will be just fine after this. And uh, yeah, I think that the key is going to be these last four matches: the at Cincy, and then the home for Flor- uh, for South Florida, uh, and then whatever happens in the American tournament. You know, I, I'm really intrigued to see what what we get out of Cincinnati this year because no Jordan Thompson, but. You know what do you have that's still out there? What does Molly Avi? What, what does Molly Alvi have up her sleeve, right? So uh, I'm I'm really interested to see what they do. But first things first, got to take care of business against ECU. UCF has done that in the past. Both those matches will be on ESPN Plus uh, Friday at six and Saturday at uh, two at the venue. So uh, spring volleyball at the venue can't beat it, man. It's great. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, tennis. Oh no, let's let's not do tennis just yet. Let's do soccer. Sorry. All right, men's soccer. Eric Lopez, what is happening here? Because they are one in three. Uh, they lost, of course, the, the game to South Florida. Then they lost three to one at Tulsa last Saturday. So they've got a they they've got a big bounce back stretch that they that they need they need to start compiling some wins right now because they got Memphis at home uh, and uh, th- uh, of course they're splitting the, the okay, so they're it's a ten game season. All right. Memphis at home this Saturday, 6 p.m. Uh, they also wrap the season at Memphis, but this is a big spot for this team that all of a sudden finds themselves in a you know two games under 500, and uh, the goals just aren't coming. They've only scored uh, three goals in four games so far this year. Correct. That is a big problem there. They're getting the shots. They're just not finishing plays. We've talked about that. How they miss Cal Jennings and that finishing ability that he has. I think that's certainly been missed. But I think they also miss a Jonathan Dean in the back line, who was also a draft pick uh, mm-hmm. in the draft, super draft a couple years ago. It was a high draft pick. I think Not the draft, the super draft. It's correct. And then, remember, Louis Perez signed a couple weeks ago with the pro team. Uh, there was no Yannick Ertl in the Tol- Tulsa match. We don't know why. He just wasn't available. Uh, so they went to Doug, their young goalkeeper, Douglas. And, again, I, I – I just think this is going to turn into a spring season where you're really more about developing guys and maybe get ready for the fall, to be honest. They've dug themselves a big hole here. Uh, you know, you could try to make the top four in the conference tournament and see what happens, but it's just anything. It just doesn't right now. It's not clicking. And and he's trying to find answers. I mean, he's trying to shuffle lineups. He's using different guys. So he's searching. They're searching, and right now they just don't have the answers. Yeah, I mean, it's, they don't have the, right now, the the quite reliable scoring that they've had you know, against, uh, you know, when they've had Cal Jennings and, um, yeah. And let's give, let's give some credit to, uh, you know, other teams are playing pretty decent defense against them too. But, uh, you know, right now it's, it's going to be a tough, now the good news is for UCF though, I will say this, their toughest games right now are still ahead of them. So they can still kind of, if they can get hot at the right time, they still have both their games against SMU still to come. And Memphis right now is uh, is also struggling. They're one and two, so they still have, they still have Memphis twice. If you're better than Memphis, you should win both of those games. That can get you back to 500. If you get hot, all right, 
You've already beaten Temple once, and you play them at home now. You got South Florida at South Florida. You lost them by one goal, and it was a late goal. So there is a shot here that they can get hot. If they can get hot at the right time, make a little bit of a run, you know, obviously, right, we'd rather have them get hot at the end of the season at the beginning, right? But the question is, have they dug themselves too big of a hole, at least at this point? So I, I think it's too big, and, and they probably needed a pre-conference. They probably needed a non-conference to kind of figure things out. Work the case out, it, yeah. Yeah, it, it might be too late. All right, well, we'll have to see. I, Scott Calabrese should probably tell us it's not too late. <laughs> we still got a shot here. So um, Scott's probably like Aaron Rodgers right now. Just relax. We'll be all right. Women's soccer on the other side. Uh, they play Sunday at Memphis, their traditional conference bugaboo. Uh, they lost a tough one to Tulsa. It's their first loss of the year. Uh, three to two, um, yeah, and, and you know they've been scoring goals, but here here's a case where they actually gave up too many of them, including one in the uh, in the uh, 80th minute, or excuse me, in the 58th minute. They got one back in the 80th minute from Katie Bradley, who's been who's been pretty good this year. She's uh, kind of emerged as a real goal scoring threat. UCF had 23 shots to to Tulsa's eight, and still came up short in this game. So. Um, you know, out out got out uh, corner kicked them thirteen to five. Uh, they put a lot of pressure on uh, on Tulsa's goalkeeper, forced them to have to make five saves in that first half. But uh, but still, Tulsa came up with the uh, with the with the goals when they needed, including one of them. Eric was eight seconds after UCF scored the opening uh, game of uh, the opening score of the game. Yeah, it was. I watched some of the, the, the remember the young back line that Tiff talked with us about. I think it showed it a little bit there. They kind of misplayed some balls there they didn't make the right plays that kind of put delay on a tough spot one of the shots were pretty much a, a looked like it was going to be a pass that just happened to go in the back of the net it was just kind of one of those things so uh tough loss it's a tough loss because you had the lead you blow it and you lose and now you got to go to memphis who's the favorites in the league that's your rival they're ranked top 25 and now all of a sudden you're one back of them you lose this match you're two back and now you're you know that regular season title might be gone because again it's a sprint so Right. Uh, you just hope they can grow from that. Um, you know, I thought there were some positives on the offensive side, but yeah, I mean, defensively they're young and they, you know, they're going to make mistakes and they maybe made one too many uh, up in Tulsa. The good news is for them is they have three of their last five at home. After this game at Memphis, it's home for ECU at South Florida, home for SMU, home for Houston. And right now, as we check the women's soccer standings, um, even though UCF is still in the lead, right? Because they do points in the women's soccer standings, right? So they have six points. They're in the lead. Uh, Memphis is still trailing them at three. And of course, they, if they lose to Memphis, they would get the tie, Memphis would get the tiebreaker. But since uh, the bottom of the league, you know, they still have yet to uh, play them. Like Houston, for example, uh, they're 0-1. They've only played one game all year. Um, they've already beaten Cincinnati once, but uh, they still have SMU on the slate. South Florida uh, is one and zero in conference, two zero and one overall. Um, so I think that you know that's going to be another matchup to see. I mean, it's it may very well again come down to that, and then the race to the finish with um, with Cincinnati, with uh, rather with Houston and SMU to to wrap up the schedule. So at least it looks as of right now that the schedule might favor UCF women's soccer in terms of uh, in, in terms of them playing the weaker teams later on in the season. So we'll have to see. Uh, all right. I want to go over to uh, tennis real quick here, um, Eric Lopez, because we have uh, a couple big setups here for uh, the men's team. They're playing Stetson on Sunday. They're, they 
knocked off uh, FGCU last week. They had that nice long break. They play Stetson, um, and they're right now at uh, four and two. So they're hitting a little, uh, a little, dare I say, cruise control phase of the schedule. Although South Alabama is receiving votes, they play them on Tuesday, and that's before they they hit that another tough stretch, right? Where they got at Florida State. They rescheduled the match at Georgia. That's going to be on March the 21st. That's a Sunday. It was scheduled for the for February 13th. They moved it back. Um, and then they play Arkansas. And then they're at SMU, at Oklahoma, at Oklahoma State. You know, that long Dallas road trip. But um, they're getting, they're, they're right in line to get hot right now, aren't they? They are, and uh, you know they're clicking on all cylinders, and uh, I think you're right. I think they're 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 just kind of gelling, and they're they're going to be a team to be reckoned with. I mean, these both tennis programs, yeah, uh, I think do a lot of damage. I don't read don't read too much into them getting swept by Texas. There was some crazy weather. They moved the matches indoors, and uh, so I wouldn't read. I mean, Texas. Oh, by the way, is really good. They're the national champs for a reason. So, um, I mean, this is exciting. I think these two tennis programs are prime to not only conference championship uh, possibilities, but making deep runs in the NCAA. Uh, real quick, I just want to check out ITA rankings. UCF right now is 19th, 19th in the Oracle ITA Division I uh, men's tennis rankings. Um, so, you know, right now they're, they, by the way, that's no change from the previous week. The uh, women's team, 7-3 and three right now, um, and, and they, they were the ones that lost, they lost that number two Texas, but they've got, a match against Furman uh, on Saturday, March the 2nd. That's at home at the USTA National Campus. Then they're playing Sunday against FAU, sa- uh, and then a week off, and then Saturday against UNF, and that's before they travel up to Georgia on March the 20th. Right now, the women's team uh, in the uh, ITA rankings, they're at 18th at 7-3. and three. Uh, That's ahead of LSU. By the way, if you want to gauge yourself, right, Texas is number two. Georgia's number three in the women's rankings. So, uh, at least as of right now, um, look, both these teams are primed and ready as they head to the meat of their schedule. And they got a lot of matches in April, too, I think. Well, look at that. For the women's, you got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six matches in the month of uh, April. Uh, and then on the men's side, uh, they're going to be busy in April, too. Three, four, five, six, six matches in April. So, uh, but the good thing is most of them are going to be home. So, hey, it works out pretty nice. I, I feel like they are flying under the radar, man. They're they're right. I, I think they're right where they want to be. They're good enough where they can challenge some of these teams. But they're flying right under the radar. And if they can get to, if they can, if they get to that NCAA's, if they get to the NCAA's in good shape and they stay healthy, look out, man. I think we're gonna, we're in for some long runs by both of these squads. Don't you think? I tend to agree. Murph, you could have some postseason tennis to cover once again. I would like that. I, I've i always enjoyed college tennis, especially UCF tennis. It's where I, I got my start in this weird business. You cut, you cut, your, te- you cut your teeth with Bobby Cashman. Undercut right? Bobby Cashman. At the, the rec courts. The great thing about those sports, if, you, if you're a, a journalist or a writer – is that they really like having you out there because no one else really co- talks to them much, which is right. why we have, which is nice, why we have this podcast because no one else would be paying attention to these sports, so they like it when they get paid attention. When I covered Bobby Cashman and that crew in like 2005, I want to say they actually uh, invited me to be part of their 
um, like conference championship team winning pictures, <laughs> uh, which is such a such an ethical boundary that no one should ever cross. Wait, why? Are you serious? How did that yeah, happen? How did that happen? Because I because I went to every match, and because back wow. in two thousand five, because in two thousand five, I was not really aware of like, yo, by the way, like. If you're here as a journalist, you probably shouldn't be openly rooting for one of the teams on the court. <laughs> and I wow. definitely, and I definitely was like, I was yelling through, you know, because they used to have the tennis courts next to the Rec and Wellness Center, and I would uh, like, you know, they, and I'd be like going from court to court, like giving guys pep talks and. You know, telling them to, you know, come on, let's go. You got this. Like, yeah, you pressure to do that. Wow. Right. This is, wow. wow. Bobby Castle made you like an ring? honorary member of the team. <laughs> yeah. Did you a, get a ring? Yeah, it was wild. It was, uh, that was pretty wild. Oh, man. All right. That's great. Bobby, right. Bobby's good. What a good, what a good dude he is. He's still around. He's still teaching tennis classes, I think, around uh, Oviedo, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, nice. Wow. So, what a good dude. All right. Uh, let's go ahead. The good news, this. by the way, Murph, they have the facilities have upgrade, upgraded since back in the day. Yes, yeah, yeah. Significant way, upgrade. We, we, we still keep saying we need to go there, and we uh, we have not been there together, and hopefully we will. But uh, so I hear, the Lake Nona campus is a little bit better. It's a slight bit upgrade. A little bit better. Yeah. So. A little bit better. All right, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Listen, thank you guys so much for uh, joining us. It's it's busy. It's weird. It's all happening at once, and we're going to try and get this podcast up as quickly as possible because. Uh, you know, again, we have those uh, basketball games, women's basketball at home against uh, South Florida uh, Thursday at five. And that starts a long and wild weekend, of, another long and wild weekend of UCF sports. But we're getting through it one step at a time. Uh, and make sure you follow us at UCF underscore banner at Facebook.com slash black and gold banner. And of course, black and gold banner where we are the home of UCF sports right here on SB. Nation. You can follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, Spokes underscore Murphy. Don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. That's newsletter with a K. Uh, Jeremy Brenner has been uh, pulling that together every weekday, 9 a.m., the latest UCF-related news and notes in your email inbox, courtesy of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, and, of course, the, the one and only Jeremy Brenner, of course. Uh, and uh, by the way, Special thanks to Danny Medina, who, uh, as you know, she's been writing features for us here and there. Uh, she just took her, she, she actually just moved up to Nashville, Tennessee to start her new job uh, working for USA Today's uh, network as a, as a digital producer up there. But she's staying on board with us. But we wish Danny all the best at her new gig up in Nashville. It's going to be a lot of fun. And oh my God, they're Hypo turning got Danny. her too? Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, that's the other side of the state. But listen, that's the best da- hire he's Danny made. And, Danny in Nashville is just going to be a problem. Like the city, the city might just be a smoking hole in six months if we're not careful. So, uh, so listen, Danny, congratulations on the new gig, uh, and uh, we're hoping that you can make your way back down to Orlando for some more events sooner rather than later. We can't really stomach losing another UCF person to the state of Tennessee once again. So please don't make yourself a stranger. All right. For Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy the weekend of sports. Catch you next week.